This week's episode is brought to you by Campaign Refinery, an amazing new email marketing automation tool. Look, in the world of digital marketing, there's a lot to keep track of. We all know this. As much as we're in love with social media and the power of social conversation here at Social Link and on the All About Digital Marketing podcast, we are well aware at just how powerful email marketing can be. Email marketing is not dead. In fact, it's never been more important to help you leverage your presence everywhere else into the one channel that you'll own, regardless of what changes Facebook, Twitter, or any other platform makes in the future. I've known the founder, Travis Ketchum, for years, and he's been a past guest on the podcast, episode 15, if you want to listen to it. I've personally used his other products before, and they've been fantastic. The amount of thought that he's put into each and every one of what he's created has been incredible. I'd highly encourage you to try their free 14-day trial at campaignrefinery.com to see what world-class email marketing automation can do for you and your business. Massive thank you to Travis and Campaign Refinery for their support of the All About Digital Marketing show. Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, a digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward-thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno, and as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure to be here. So we are living in uh, some turbulent times at the moment, but we're not going to get into that too much. But your official title is Partner at Trust Insights. Uh, for everybody who doesn't know anything about Trust Insights yet, and they're about to discover, can you give a little bit of uh, an elevator pitch or the intro, as it were, to, to let people know what you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, Trust Insights, we light up dark data. We're a data science consultancy that works with marketers. So anybody that needs to know kind of which marketing programs are working for them or not, or if you've got tons of data about your customers over numbers of years and you don't really know what path your customers take to get to you, we can help you figure that kind of stuff out. Um, the company was founded two years ago with Christopher Penn and Katie Robert. They were both at Shift Communications doing PR and doing a lot of data science and analysis of PR activities. And they finally decided to break off and start their own company. And I had worked with Christopher Penn for over a dozen years on marketing over coffee. So we worked together and known each other forever. And when they broke off on their own, you know, even within a couple months, they reached a point where they're like, hey, we can use some more help. And kind of keeping track of business and getting our message out there to everybody. So I jumped over there to help them out. And yeah, it's been fantastic to have a chance to kind of take what was a side hustle thing and make it a a full-time job. So it's been a a heck of a run. That's awesome. And just for anyone who doesn't know as well, Marketing Over Coffee is, I believe, your podcast. Yes, Marketing Over Coffee. Um, it's a weekly audio program. Usually runs about 25 minutes. You know, for most Americans, that's their average commute in the car. So we kind of built it around that. But we just talk about what's going on in the world of marketing and tech. And we always try and focus on stuff that you can put to use immediately. You know, there's a lot of talk on tactics. And then 
you know, we've been around long enough. We've been fortunate enough to be able to get to know a lot of marketers. So we have a bunch of authors on now and then too. We've talked to a lot of the big names in marketing. So, um, but yeah, it really, it's a, a great opportunity for us to be able to talk with folks who do the stuff that we do every day and kind of share the stories that, you know, your family or your friends have no interest in hearing. <laughs> I like it because these are the sort of conversations that you and I geek out over. And uh, a lot of other people just look at us and sort of stare blankly when we start talking about these things. So uh, I'm glad to hear there's more people like me. <laughs> right. No, that's you. You totally nailed it. You know, you can only go to so many holiday parties and have your relatives glaze over and not be interested in hearing from you at all that, you know, you've got to find someplace else to tell these stories because we have great stories. You know, it, marketing is so great in that we can do all these campaigns. We're always trying new stuff and it's succeeding or failing spectacularly. And it's, it's exciting and fun, but yeah, you, it's hard to share. I think to be fair, that's probably given me a really good segue into to, to sort of opening up this conversation. But what you just said there, for me, everything about marketing is about experimentation, right? We're, we are constantly innovating, trying. And like you said as well, you have some amazing wins. And those are the stories that we probably brag about the most. Uh, and then, you know, deep down inside, we know that there's been some epic failures. Um, but again, it's all about the learning and stuff. So for everyone listening, and especially for small to mid-sized businesses, how important the experimentation uh, process is and why is it so important from, from your point of view in terms of understanding the data and understanding what works and what doesn't? Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, especially for small to medium sized business, you know, we, a lot of times we use analogies like you're, you know, you're building a plane as you're falling off a cliff or, you know, you're, you're trying to uh, change the wheels on the bus as you're driving, you know, in smaller organizations, you only have so many funds to work with. And so your ability to find the marketing and sales things that work as fast as possible can make the difference between, you know, survival and failure. I mean, it can literally make all the difference. And so, then layered on top of that, though, you've got human behavior where people are irrational. You know, you can't just find one way to market or advertise and have that work for the next 10 years. I mean, you're constantly having to change and refine and move to where people are and speak to them in terms that they want to hear about and just constantly move and adjust. So, yeah, it's a never-ending process. You know, there's just so much that you can do in so many different places to go, but you need to have a plan for, okay, we can do these, you know, there's 20 different options we could do to try and get new business in the door. Let's pick three of these and test them out and see if any of these actually work and then adjust as we go. And, you know, hopefully again, you manage to crack the code before the, the pile of cash is gone. I think it's really important because from my side of it, I bang this drum a lot and I'm always really excited and happy when guests actually end up speaking about the same thing. Um, and it is very much that, you know, uh, identifying uh, your strategy, what it is that you're trying to achieve and then saying, right, I'm going to try these three things, for example. And it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily do. So they'll either fixate on one thing or because they read an article about SEO or about PPC or about <laughs> social media, you know, they, they just run down that deep, dark rabbit hole as fast as they can trying to figure it out and not necessarily remembering that the golden rule for me on digital marketing is we keep trying. Like we don't know what's going to work and with the best will in the world, um, and I, I think I have a follow-up question for you after this one, but with the best will in the world, we don't always get it right first time. And sometimes we're shocked actually by the results that we get. And this is something I, I would, I'd love to know from your side. Have you experienced this before where, you know, the, the thing that you thought was going to work well maybe hasn't performed as well and something that you thought of as a bit of an outlier has ended up doing far better? 
Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, that happens all the time. And there's a, there's a couple different really critical points with that. Um, one is a lot of times people make the mistake of just doing one or two things. Like a good example is videos. You know, people will be like, okay, let's make some videos. Well, they'll make one or two or three videos. And what I found over the long run is you go and you make 12 videos and, you know, instead of making one 40 minute video, make 12, one minute videos. And the insane thing is you may have those sitting out there and just suddenly a year and a half later, one of them will go crazy and start to get all kinds of action. Um, so it, it's, you know, you can put all this stuff out there, but you kind of never know what's that magic intersection of, you know, the, the zeitgeist, whatever's hot right now. And, you know, when does it finally hit that one person who can share to 10 people who, you know, because where it finally caught, you know, it can take months and months for that to happen. And the other thing with that is that there's, um, I've done a lot of stuff talking to the authors of Traction, Justice, Justin Mayers and Gabriel Weinberg. And they've done actual research into startups and smaller companies and found that when you do this thing of picking three channels and you pick one that's the winner, once you find one that does work, you do have to continue to drill way down in because there's economies of scale and a learning curve. In so let's just say you're you know you find that Facebook ads kind of work for you. After six months of doing Facebook ads, you're going to know so much more that you're going to even increase your ROI further. You're going to do better than anybody else who's just been doing it for a week or two, and you can continue to mine and get better results by really specializing in the stuff that works. I think it's really important that as well, because everything that we do in, in digital and actually one of the things that really pulled me in uh, at the beginning of my career in, in marketing was all about that. It was the data side of it. I found it amazing that I could spend hours looking through to understand where people came from, how they were accessing, what it was that they were looking at, what, what pages and, and you know, that information today is almost endless. Uh, and this is what you guys do for a living. Um, but literally, you can dig so deep nowadays, that there is no real reason to be able to say or to justify not knowing what is and what isn't working, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, it's interesting. It's a double edged sword in that a lot of folks, because I'm in the same boat. I mean, I came from a direct marketing background, you know, back in the days of catalogs and that kind of stuff. And you can make the mistake of uh, only looking at it from a direct marketing point of view. It's like, okay, so we did this email, we got no action in these two days. So it's obviously a failure. You know, you do have to look at the also over the long term because you may find campaigns where, yeah, you know, it didn't deliver any results in the first week. But now as we look back over the past 18 months, we find that, you know, 20% of the business came from that because it did manage to, to generate awareness. You know, it didn't actually generate action. Um, so it's you know, you do have to kind of take a long-term look so you don't miss, you know, you don't want to get caught in a race to the bottom for clicks, I think is really the, the big part of that. You, you want to be looking across the board and over time as to what really works. But yeah, it is just amazing how much more data there is. And I, like a great example of that is a lot of the stuff that goes on with web analytics, you know, products like Lucky Orange, where you can actually watch somebody come into your website and see where they're going and, you know, follow the user's path through. And you can just learn so much. I mean, in the past, that was limited to, you know, companies that could afford to set up a focus group with 10 people to bang around the website and spend days doing this. And now to just be able to go in and be like, oh, yeah, look, everybody comes in and they're looking for the pricing button and they don't realize it's over here. You know, if we put it over here, we can double our conversions. It's just amazing to have that kind of stuff where you can make a huge difference with, without too much effort. 
It is like I agree with you completely and the the depth. Um, so obviously, if you're a little bit of a geek uh, and you enjoy the data side of it, then you can really go down some rabbit holes, right? Um, we we've all been there because we enjoy it, but you start to really drill deep, and you're like, "That no, I need to know." Like over the last three months, what is the difference made when I change things, or what are the differences on the split testing that we did, and and how that kind of actually impacted what people were doing whilst they were on the site, and then you go into all sorts of other. Uh, whether it be Hotjar or Kissmetrics or whatever else and uh, heat maps on websites. So there's a ton of information and data. But I think what's really something that's marked me, and I wondered how you found this, but when we are talking to small to mid-sized businesses and even businesses that have got decent budgets, I always find it shocking the number of people that don't necessarily have clearly defined objectives or goals that they're trying to achieve before they set out to try different marketing channels or different marketing mediums. Is that something that you've come across? Yeah. And as a matter of, you know, unfortunately we've had it backed up with data too. I think there's uh, the CMO survey that comes out uh, twice yearly. I think we were just appalled. It's a, you know, I think that the last run, it was something like 34% of CMOs are making decisions, you know, based on no data whatsoever. Um, and then, you know, and then even for the other, two out of three, it's a sliding scale of how much data do they have? And are they, you know, are they just kind of using it to figure out whether to throw a rock, you know, in front of them or behind them, or can they actually dial it all the way down into what channel and what people to hit? So yeah, it's, there's a lot of structural problems with that. You know, I I think the biggest one is just churn and level of expertise. You know, it's so many companies, you know, a marketing person comes in and, they'll set a bunch of things up. And if they do a lot of interesting stuff and great things, you know, four months later, they're getting their salary doubled by jumping to some other company. And then the next person comes in and sets up the same stuff. And it's not uncommon for us to go into companies and find, you know, two or three instances of Google tag manager set up and, you know, none of them working right. And, um, you know, even a couple of SaaS products that they don't realize that they're paying monthly for and nobody's using. So, um, yeah, it, pretty much anybody in the marketing space that is just kind of doling out dollars on a whim uh, has got a lot of work to do. But it, you know, the good news is it's not difficult. Uh, as you talked about, with you know, Pareto does apply. Like you can do some basic, simple things to get your analytics in order that can at least give you some actionable results. You know, in a short order. So on a very basic scale, and again, I'm going, I'm, I'm talking mainly for our audience in terms of small businesses and stuff like that, but the very, very basics, you know, if you've got a website, Google Analytics, right? For, for us, at least anyway, when we're talking to clients at a very, very minimum level, Google Analytics starts to give you some insight as to what's happening on your website. Social media, you know, you've got Facebook insights, Twitter analytics, you get some basic information and actually, you know, even Facebook and Twitter, you can dig deeper into. But these are like fundamental steps, right? Nobody should be having a website up for their business and not at least taking some time once a month, once every six weeks to look at this information to really understand what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's always where we start. You know, that's the first thing that you want to, to jump in and get going. And it, you know, I mean, we would love to see that you kind of get everything up and running and you've got tag manager running. So it's running across all your different properties and that you've got, um, you know, your goals built, you know, you're taking full advantages of goals across every channel, but it it doesn't have to even be that uh, comprehensive a look. I mean, even just 
having GA set up across your main site so you can see the traffic. And then the big one is just using learning UTM codes so that you can create trackable links in all of your programs. So it's like when you have a webinar, you don't just link back to the website, you link back to a you know, a URL that's showing you that this came from a webinar. So then at the end of the quarter, you can go in and look and say, oh, okay, look, you know, we got 10% more traffic from, because we did this webinar, you know, you can start to have an idea as far as what's bringing people in the front door and, and what's working. And that's where, you know, anybody can at least, you know, jump in and get started with that to get a better idea of where the business is coming from. What would you say are the biggest KPIs that small businesses should be focused on? And I know obviously this is going to be relating to strategy, relating to their goals and their objectives as well to a certain extent. But from your point of view, what are the basics that you know most small businesses should be being, paying attention to? Yeah, that's a, a great question because, you know, it's, I mean, in a perfect world, you would just have your customer acquisition cost and their lifetime value. And, you know, that would be it. You'd be golden, right? I mean, you'd know what it takes to get somebody in the door and how much they're going to be worth. And then you know how much, you know, you can afford to spend to get them to become a customer. And and it's that easy. And then of course, you know, as you're well aware, you know, the reality is far messier and stickier and a disaster. But you can, I think one thing that you know, it's not always statistically relevant even, but it's at least a place to start is, you know, start with a simple conversion thing. Like it doesn't have to be how many deals have you closed for, you know, over the last 18 months for this software product that takes, you know, six or seven months to determine. It's just like, what does it take to get somebody to the pricing page or to request a demo? And, you know, so you've got a small place to start as far as like, okay, well, what, you know, what can we try here to maybe try and double the amount of demos we're getting every month? And as time goes on, you know, you'll be able to see better like, okay, the, you know, the demos we get from this point are better than the ones we get from here. And, you know, we know that demos should be record, you know, uh, converting at this percentage rate or that rate. But, you, you know, just trying to get a, as close as you can to dial into what does it take to get somebody to show up and become a prospect? And then how much more does it take to get a sale? And then what are they worth after the sale? The worth after the sale is the one that gets a lot of, it gets overlooked most frequently, you know, and especially in the SaaS world that can just kill you if you're not paying attention to what the churn's like, you know, you can be thinking that you're doing a killer job getting all these new people in the front door and not paying attention to the fact that like, 80% 80% of them are gone before 12 months. That's, that's the kind of thing that wipes out a SaaS company. It is always interesting to me, and especially for small, more smaller businesses and not so much tech startups because they, they're more savvy, but smaller businesses that are trying to do stuff online, whether it be e-commerce or sales, the, the lack of understanding or knowledge in terms of what is your CPA on average, um, what is your lifetime value of a customer, do people repeat buy, is it a one-off purchase, is it a high value, is it a low value? And we were doing a strategy session with somebody recently uh, in regards to what they're trying to do and what they're trying to launch. And again, we were asking this, well, what do you think the lifetime value would be? And they were like that, well, to be honest with you right now, I haven't thought past this is the initial product. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's start to look at that as well. Because obviously, you know, if you're thinking this is a, turns into a monthly subscription product, if this turns into a yearly subscription product, you know, even if this is something that, you know, you should regularly do, you're recommending that you do this once a year, once every six months, whatever it might be, then you have this repeat business and this repeat possibility of actually having an increased lifetime value as opposed to knowing exactly where you're at. But the second question that really sort of hit with them And I remember them actually replying to me afterwards, but I said, what's your margins on the product? And literally they were like that. You're the only agency that's asked us this so far. 
And I said, that's really, that's really interesting because from my point of view, how can we, how can we even start to guess how much we can spend per acquisition, for example, and what sort of numbers are you targeting without knowing what you're going to actually make off the sale? So I, I found myself almost doing, I don't want to say economics 101 or business 101, but it was kind of like, you know, I'm sorry that these other agencies didn't bring this up. But from my side, you know, unless we know what you're playing with and what kind of numbers are going to be acceptable, I'd find it really hard and uncomfortable to go forward and say, right, let's spend £10,000 and find out that it costs you 5x what you're going to make to make every sale. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it amazing how it, that doesn't get factored in? I think, I don't know, it's going to be very interesting because we're kind of at this point where things are really wonky in the economy. And for so for the past I don't know, 10 years, there's kind of been this SaaS idea of like, well, it doesn't really matter how much money we lose per customer because if we just get to a point where we have enough customers, we'll be able to go public and everything will take care of itself. And I mean, that definitely doesn't work for any company that's not considering to go public. You know, I mean, if you're, if, uh, I don't know, I've just been laughing about, um, Scott Galloway had a a funny story about one of these companies uh, companies that was doing direct to consumer mattresses. And he was looking at their strategy and he said, look, these people would have been smarter if they just put $300 in the mattress and gave them away to people for free. Like that would be a better economic model than their current business model. And so, yeah, good on you for, you know, getting the client to kind of pay a little bit more attention to, you know, how much are they going to be able to make over the long run? Because yeah, that totally influences kind of the, degree of, you know, are you going to have to spend $500 a lead to get them in the door? And so you need to be making personal calls or can you, you know, spend, uh, you know, five bucks a click and do this all automated. I mean, it totally changes your approach to how you're going to do it. Yeah. But it's interesting because I, I, we had this conversation with, uh, Matt Ramsey, I think his name is, uh, on a recent episode. And basically we were talking about the kind of commoditization of they do a lot of website stuff for manufacturing and for for industry-based businesses. But this commoditization of marketing as a service, and it's become, I don't want to say scary, but I've had conversations with companies where they say to me, no, no, we pay someone 400 pounds a month to do our social media. Uh, What you guys are talking about is crazy money. And we've gone, fair enough. Like, you know, we're not right for everybody. We understand that. Just out of interest, how the results looking from your £400 a month that you're currently (laughs) spending. And invariably, you know, at that point they go, well, either one, what results? What are you talking about? Social media is just something we have to do. At which point you think, wow. Uh, Or the second one is, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't bother us. But you realize at that point it has zero value to them because it doesn't actually bring anything in. They're basically paying somebody to write tweets and schedule them for them with no goal in mind, with no actual actionable results from it and an overcomplication of you know, vanity metrics, which really don't matter to a business. Because like you said, the only thing we're really interested in, how much did we spend? What's the cost per acquisition? And what's the lifetime value? Is this making us money? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? And you hit it on the head with vanity metrics. You know, those are organizations where at some point on the line, you know, when they started doing it, it was just like, okay, how many likes did we get this week? You know, it's that kind of mentality that then just becomes this race to the bottom where, yeah, they've got some sketchy company posting a bunch of links that they're posting the same links for their other 50 clients. And it's, you know, just a, a huge waste of time for everybody. 
It is a shame. But right, let's get back into the geeky stuff that I enjoy as well. So in terms of, uh, from you guys' point of view, trust insights, um, I'd love to know any kind of examples that you've, you've had of this as well in terms of small to mid-sized businesses. But how can data be used to really help them to identify what's working and what's not, but more importantly, where to put their money, especially in those early days when, like you mentioned earlier, you know, people are tight. We don't have a lot of money when it comes to, to small businesses. We're trying to find the best use of that cash. What are some of the things, the key things that people can do to really kind of make, maximize that impact in those early stages? Yeah, for us, there's been three areas that we've focused on with our clients that have worked for us. You know, the most exciting and interesting one is predictive marketing, where we're taking and looking at, you know, looking at your industry, looking at the topics you cover, and giving you a calendar of when things are actually going to peak. So a good example of that. Um, and it's funny with so many of our clients, of course, don't want to share any of their data. We've come up with a generic data set and we call it the cheese report that we release twice a year. And you can actually see, you know, which weeks of the year will certain cheeses be, you know, at their height and at their peak. So for example, this was all new to me. I'd never heard of halloumi, which is a cheese that peaks in the summers in July and August because it's a grillable cheese. Delicious so on a barbecue, John. How do you not know this yet? You've got to try that. <laughs> That's oh yeah I'm I'm surprised that's you know the the story so you're ahead of the curve on that and yeah so that like that was all news to me and of course if you are some kind of food related industry or a, you know running a cheese shop you would know that okay in April and May we need to be doing the videos on how to grill the cheese and you know do a couple blog posts on what cheeses are you going to buy this week hey be sure to get your order in early for halloumi because it's halloumi season and all that kind of stuff so yeah predictive is is a big part of it for us because it solves just what we were talking about earlier in that instead of just sitting there and thinking like, okay, what five topics should I write about this week? You actually have a graph of like, okay, well, here's the topics that are going to be hot over the next four months or, or four weeks. And so build your content plan around that, you know, work around these things and you'll be able to, uh, you know, just generate more organic traffic. Um, so predictive is, is a big piece of uh, the puzzle. The second level for us, is just data mining and data analysis. You know, being able to look at both your customer data that you have and data from third-party services outside of your organization to find commonalities in, you know, your prospects or your customers. Um, so a good example of that is we found for a client that was doing a lot of church-related things that actually there was a huge preponderance of uh, pet owners, and in fact, dog owners specifically. So we found out that, hey, if you take all of your ad campaigns where you're just spending, you know, straight out the door with little um, segmentation, if you take and target dog owners, make that part of your, uh, part of the distribution of the ads, you actually will increase your results by 10 to 20% because we just know that there's a better chance that they're qualified because they have this characteristic. Um, so you know, data mining is the second part. And then what we run into with every client is they want to do some of this cool stuff. And as we dig in, we find out, you know, just as you were talking about, well, they don't even know what the lifetime value is or what the margin is. So there's a lot of work to be done and, you know, maybe getting the email, uh, vendor data over across to CRM so you can better track results and get a better view of attribution and what's working. There's always infrastructure stuff that needs to get done. And it just makes no sense to do a lot of those projects in-house. You know, if you were to put an IT person on it, okay, they're going to spend two months, you know, building some kind of integration or getting some integration to work. And they're never going to do that again. Whereas, 
you know, we can come in and we've done this 10 times before. We already know where the, all the gotchas are and where the common problems are and we can just get it done. So you can spend your time, you know, creating content and doing stuff that only your team can do. And that's really where, um, you know, we can help provide some benefit. There's a couple of things there that I, I'm going to talk about because this is something that one, I'm always shocked about when I hear people that are doing social content creation and stuff like that is, and you mentioned it exactly, the content calendar. Now, this to me seems so obvious in the sense of you should be planning around some sort of a, a strategy, a plan, but even more basic than that is how many businesses seem to get caught out. And even by big holidays and things like that, big events in their industry, but they're caught out and you can see them almost scrambling to try and create content for that particular purpose. And, <laughs> and, and I, I mean, this, is, this sounds awful, but I have spoken to companies in the first and second week of December who have spoken to me saying they need their content for Christmas. Yeah, Christmas help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and literally you have to have that conversation going, I'd love to, but you should have called me like eight weeks ago. Like all of our client stuff has been done for, for weeks now. Like we're not doing Christmas content at this point. We're now planning towards, you know, well after the new year, what comes next, Valentine's Day, even just the big holidays and the industry specific ones afterwards that then catch people out. And you think, wow, come on guys. Like this wasn't snuck up on you. You know, it's not some kind of a, a random <laughs> news flash that suddenly came up that you had to respond to there. And then these are things that are happening every year, year in, year out. And it's quite, it's quite shocking to me still, actually. And we do have a free um, content calendar, which actually we've been meaning to update for 2020, but other things are happening this year. But people are still downloading the 2019 one because invariably it still has the key dates and things. But we're amazed at how many people are doing this without that. And the second thing I was going to ask you about as well, which, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, people want to do the cool stuff, right? It's exciting. It sounds like fun. Let's do this really nice, like really funky, overly complicated funnel that's potentially going to go absolutely nowhere. But it sounds interesting. And I read an article about it once. Therefore, <laughs> let's do that. But we also find on the social side, when we first start talking to a client, they'll be like that. Yep. So what we need is, and then they'll rattle off every single platform that they've ever heard of or read about, including TikTok and whatever else, because people have said to me that the attention right now on TikTok is priceless. It's well worth it. One thing or another. So we listen and we take notes and we talk and then we say, right, cool. What are you going to put up on this stuff? What, 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 what's the plan here? Cause you're talking about YouTube videos. You're going to start <laughs> creating as that how many videos you're going to create every week, every month. Like what's the plan here and blo <laughs> blogging. You want to be on medium as well. I think that's a great idea. Awesome. Who's going to be writing all this content and Facebook and Twitter. And what about engagement and what about getting involved in conversations? And you start having this convo with them and invariably 90% of organizations realize at that point that they're biting off more than they can chew. And I think this is something that's huge. And I'd love to have your sort of side of it, especially again, remembering our audience, small to mid-sized businesses, focus for me, focusing on a couple of channels and trying to do those as best as you can is worth a hundred X trying to be on all channels and realizing that you're basically failing across the, the, the full remit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Failing at all of them. No, it's, yeah, it is totally overwhelming. And I mean, you have to feel for the smaller bit medium business owner because it's obviously totally overwhelming. You know, I mean, most of these small to medium business people, the executives are the folks that have started this company. So they're, you know, they're either great software developers or they're great at running a restaurant or, you know, just doing SEO is 
absolutely nothing that they know anything about or have any interest in doing. And so it's, yeah, it's completely overwhelming. And so, like you said, they do kind of first resort to the like, okay, give me a little dash of everything, you know, not realizing that, you know, that's the, the fast path to mediocrity and failure is, you know, if you've got $10,000 sprinkling a hundred dollars all over the place is just not going to do anything for you at all. Um, a lot of the things that we prescribe for those kinds of situations is, you know, starting with the blog is it's an old tired message, but it still makes the most sense in the world. And I think actually probably it's due for an update in that we don't even have to call it blog anymore because that makes it sound old and tired. I think it's start with your website, you know, having great content on your website, which, Oh, by the way, is probably going to look a whole lot like a blog, but we just don't have to call it a blog. And there's a couple of huge things with that. I mean, one is just the SEO value, right? Is huge. There's no better ROI than getting your website right so that you can get free organic Google traffic. Like that's going to be the, the best you can do as far as getting people in the front door. And then at least the benefit of that is if you do get good at posting stuff on the website, well, then that sh- will start to translate easily across to other things. You know, you can say, okay, so here's the 10 best blog posts. Let's make a video out of those. Even if it's just somebody, you know kind of mostly reading the blog post and adding something to make the video a little bit more interesting. Um, and you can bundle three of the best blog posts up and make that a subject of a webinar. And you, you, know, you can start to... Um, and that's where I think, again, a, an agency or a marketing professional that has kind of been around the block a few times gets is the fact that you can repurpose all the content. You don't have to be doing blog posts and making some videos that are totally unrelated to that and doing a webinar that has nothing to do with it either. It's, you know, you start with the blog post on it to generate the webinar, which then gives you the video. And it's, you're only doing kind of the grinding of the thing out. You're not recreating content every step of the way, you know, fresh stuff. And again, that totally meshes in with the SEO efforts too of what we usually see. If if you take one piece of content and you put it up on your website and then keep going back to it every quarter, updating and keeping it current, those are the kinds of pages that suddenly when you look two or three years down the line, you know, you're getting 10 to 20% of your website to these couple pages just because they're the go-to resources. It's really interesting that you said it as well because it, it's... It's this effort that goes in to get you somewhere. And it's not today. It might not be tomorrow. In fact, realistically, it's definitely not going to be tomorrow. But when it comes to stuff like the SEO or whether it be sort of more generic brand awareness, you know, you were talking about those direct marketing campaigns that don't necessarily have that impact there and then, but actually invariably further down the route, you see that those things are what helped you pick up people. But the SEO, um, and this reminds me again, we were talking about PPC um, the other day. And I, sorry, I can't remember the name of the guest and I apologize in advance for that. But we were talking about that. And um, when we were talking about it, the thing that really came from it, everything, people want basically a really fast result. And we go back to this commoditization of the marketing services that people offer. And they're like that. Well, you know, there's this company that's advertising one funnel that will change my business and make me thousands of dollars whilst I sleep. And invariably, I'm sat there going, cool, like, I, I really hope it works. Genuinely, I do, because I, I want you to find success. <laughs> and I'd be, I'd be more than happy for you to ring me up and tell me that you bought this one funnel and it all worked magically. I was like, I don't believe in it personally, but again, good luck and we'll see how it works. And I think that's one of the, the big things where people don't necessarily realize doing stuff today is going to have ripple effects and ripple effects 
not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but potentially years down the line. You know, content today, we get to host, and this is the beautiful thing about nowadays as well. When I first started the agency, uh, Social Inc., it was in 2008. So when we had clients that did do video stuff, we were getting stuff like premium Vimeo accounts to be able to host it or Wistia to try and host all this kind of content to then be able to share it on their website and things like that. So you started to build up costs, not to mention we own camera equipment that cost a small fortune. Today, you can literally go live on an iPhone on Facebook and that's it. That video is hosted for you free of charge forever and ever and ever, which is an absolutely beautiful thing. But people don't necessarily realize the long-term benefits. And how, how is this something that you help people to understand? You know, what you do today could have impacts six months, a year, two years down the line, as opposed to, you know, the people that are chasing those quick wins. Yeah, that's that's a huge challenge. And ultimately that comes to your alignment with the top management or whoever is, you know, kind of making all the marketing decisions. Because yeah, they tend to fall into two camps. There's the people who think, oh, well, we can just throw some money at this. So, yeah, I may mean, I had a, a CEO once say to me, you know, what I really want to do is spend one dollar and get two. And I mean, I had to say, well, yeah, so would everyone else on earth like that to be, you know any place where you could show up and give them $5 and get 10. Like, yeah, that's, uh, unfortunately things usually don't work that way. It's just the reality. And yeah, like we've seen it with, you know, we've been doing the podcast for 12 years and more than half the business that we get from trust insights are people who know us from the podcast. You know, they trust us because they've heard us before, but you know, that's not, you can't replicate that, you know, nobody's going to be able to just start up a podcast for you and be able to double the amount of leads you're going to get over the next month. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's just, uh, you know, you kind of need to find people that understand. And we're seeing a similar thing now, like during economic downturn, right? There's two kinds of organizations. You're going to find the ones that are just going to slash and burn and hope that they survive. And then there's going to be organizations that, you know, are going to use this in a, as an opportunity to get the best deals that they can get. You know, they're still going to keep their media presence, but they're going to work with their sales rep and they'll probably be paying a whole lot less because the sales rep is willing to take anything because things are so bad. And then they're going to be investing in their people. You know, you've got downtime. So now we can do that training that we've been putting off for years and, and you can hire away talent too. You know, there's going to be talent that gets laid off because the companies that, you know, didn't put aside a war chest aren't going to be able to hang on to them. And so, yeah, it's kind of a, it, it's a long-term, short-term uh, frame of mind. And yeah, unfortunately, it can be a real challenge. It's kind of a roll of the dice. You know, unfortunately, there's no way you can't segment your uh, AdWords on long-term thinkers versus short-term thinkers. It's just a matter of going on enough dates and finding the right, uh, the right people to get married to, you know. But uh, again, over the long run, that's the great thing. And I'm sure you've already seen this too, because you've been in business long enough that you find those magical clients that you can actually talk honestly with and they, you know, are rational with their decision-making and, and they're good clients to have because they're looking at the long term and they know it's going to pay off eventually. I, I talk about this quite often, but I started calling, um, I started sort of uh, segmenting my clients and I started um, <laughs> labeling bad profits on certain clients because they might pay well, they might pay on time, everything else. 
but they were just hard work because they didn't want to listen because they wouldn't buy into what we were trying to help them with. They'd fight us on certain things that we'd have to fight back to try and help explain. And invariably, we'd make money, which is fine. And when you're starting out in business, you think that's the key metric, right? You need revenue because you're new, you don't have any. And if you don't get some, then you know, you're not going to be in business very long. And it was probably about four or five years ago. And I was like that, I'm out. I don't want any more bad profits. I'd rather go bust because I don't have anyone to work with than working with people that just constantly make your life a misery. But not only that, they fight you on things that basically end up hurting their business as much, if not more than it hurts my business. And it was something that was really kind of like a click moment for me in terms of when you find those legendary clients, those magical clients, and we've worked with certain businesses since 2012, 2011, and we're still working with them today. But when they ask us about something, they don't fight us when we come back with a solution or a proposed plan. They know with confidence that they can trust us in the sense of, yeah, okay, if you say this is the way to do it and that's the price, then you know we're not looking for a new partner. We're not going to try and save 5% or 10% somewhere else. We just want to get this done in the way that we were hoping to do. And if you come up with a solution for that, then let's make this happen. And I think that's the, the golden thing, right? When you're starting out in a business to try and identify what those things are. And I'm not sure how you guys have found this with trust, but the, you know, I talked about the 80-20 rule the other day on the podcast, something that's so basic, but you know, 80% of your revenue comes probably from 20% of your clients. Uh, but at the same time, 80% of your problems and your issues and the stress probably also comes from a different 20% of those clients as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, it, so in the type of work that we do, you even feel that in your gut, you know, if you are just smart enough to once a year, sit down and go down your list, you're going to be like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, we're making this from these people. And the, the, you know, I'm feeling pain from this every week. Like it's totally obvious for that. We do see similar stuff with larger midsize companies that have support organizations. You know, every once in a while you run these reports and you see that, you know, and this is like classic dark data for us. We go in and we, we can say to somebody, look at this. Did you know that, you know, 5% of your customers are making up 90% of the support calls that go over an hour, you know, and suddenly you find out that like by, you know, jettisoning 5% of your customer base, you can increase your total profitability by 10 or 20%, you know, just some <laughs> insane numbers. And it even comes to the point where, you know, there's some customers where you're willing to send them a gift certificate to the competition to make them go away because you know that you're, you know, delivering a, a fun package to your competitor. Um, but yeah. <laughs> that, I haven't heard that before, but that's blinding. I love that as an idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, the, there's, there are, and you know, and we all know these people it's, I don't know. It's just, it's a very, very bizarre organizational behavior thing of like once an organization gets to a certain size, like there's people in the org that are just doing things to justify their being there. So they'll stay on the phone forever and do all kinds of crazy things that have no business impact, but end up being an expense for you. And so, yeah, being able to, yeah, we've seen tons of crazy stories like that of, you know, people, dropping a third of their customers and increasing their profitability 80%, you know, things like that, where yeah, you just kind of take some time to do some alignment. And that goes big to what you were talking about, profitability and lifetime value. You know, every once in a while you find that there's these customers that like, yeah, they're paying their bills every week and maybe they're not at the top of the payment plan. But then suddenly as you 
yeah, you dig in and you look, you're like, well, they actually never upgrade on anything. And oh, by the way, they are, you know, we're having to babysit them every month with all this custom work. And you just realize that, yeah, you're, everybody's better off if they get thrown overboard. It's that moment when you realize you'll go bust because you're working very, very hard for the wrong people. Um, <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough lesson to learn. Oh yeah. Well, especially like in, in down cycles where, you know, you kind of get in this mentality of, okay, we'll just take any business that comes to the door and that can actually kill you. You know, if you um, end up getting four or five clients that are just a ton of pain and that stops you from being able to do prospecting and trying to upgrade them all the time. Yeah. You can, you can basically be kind of uh, lighting your rescue boat on fire. Okay. John, before we uh, wrap up, What's the biggest tip or piece of advice that you'd give to any small to mid-sized business that's listening right now? Oh, try and get to a point where you know people are coming from. And I guess the easy one with that is make sure baked into your process somewhere at some point you're asking people, Hey, how did you hear about us? You know, where did you come from? Like that just needs to be ingrained in your culture that you're going to try and capture that data. And even if it's on a chalkboard in the back, you know, when the waiters are out there, if they can ask that five times a night and you can have a scorecard in the back to give you some kind of data, to give you a better idea of where business is coming from, that will pay off huge in the long run. I love it. John, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us today. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, probably ending up catching up with you again some other time to talk even more in depth about some, uh, some analytics and some more geeky stuff. Oh, that sounds great. Yes, I'm always up for talking uh, marketing geek stuff and, and the latest tech. So it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. The All About Digital Marketing podcast is brought to you by Social Inc., a distributed digital marketing agency specialized in delivering results through online campaigns. Whether it's content marketing, social media marketing, online advertising, or web design, we've got you covered from strategy through to delivery. If you're struggling with your digital marketing, get in touch today by simply visiting www.socialinc.co.